0: Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Leith out on Long Island. Today we're going to look at the Golden Knights as they continue their hot streak last night in Dallas. Uh, playoff position update with them, Arizona chasing where the where Calgary and San Jose is. K is now 7-1 and one in the Stone Age. We're going to look at that effect. And we have injury updates on Eric Holla and William Carrier. Uh, we'll get to that and more in the Vegas lane and our our weekly trip around the league. We'll see the NHL draft lottery schedule, moved up the coyotes, playoff push uh, wildcard races in both conferences. There's lots to get to with that. And then our featured guest today is Danny Janicus. He's a co-host and writer for the fan site of Florida Panthers website, the We'll go in depth on the Panthers looking at the Gallant effect before and after the, the termination off season plans for Florida If they end up with Bobrovsky, do they buy out Luongo? What are we looking at there? Much more to get to. It's going to be a great show, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, hockey fans, let's get right to it we got a great show planned for everybody today. We're going to go down the Vegas lane first and foremost. Chris, good day to you, sir.
1: Oh, good day to you. It was, a, it was a good week for the Knights, you know, three-game trip. Take Anytime you take two out of three, uh, for the most part, you got to be pretty happy. I know it was kind of a circled calendar game in Calgary, and they came up short there, but took care of business in Vancouver, and uh, Dallas has been one of the hotter teams in the league, so that was was a nice win last night, another big performance by Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, You know, and the guy coming to last night was kind of a big game because with the Coyotes uh, playing, they got that down to uh, four points, uh, although Vegas had a game in hand, and that was their, I believe, their game in hand. So it currently stands at six points. So all in all, good week for Vegas, and uh, what, we got about, what, three weeks or so left in the three, three and a half weeks left in the regular season and as long as they can kinda take care of business, if you will, play at a at a, a quality level, um, they should be able to hold off Arizona, I
0: would think. Yeah, and 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 look, last night was a big game as playoff sure. hockey, I think, from the from the get go. There was a lot of physical play um kind of fitting that kind of a game. Ryan Reeves gets the game winner. Uh Caused some havoc in the corner, caused the puck to break loose, collected it, shot it, caught his rebound, uh, buried the rebound for a nice 2-1 win. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, and locally for sure, there's a lot of emphasis being put on, oh, the, Arizona's closing, they're, they're four points back. And to me, I'm, A, I'm not worried about Arizona. I, I think if the Knights, I, a while back I said that for the 91 points, um I'm still going to stick with that. And I still think it's, regardless, Arizona's been the hottest team in the league. Uh, it's going to take a lot for them to get to 91 and at the same time pass the Golden Knights. And if they do, to me, it doesn't really matter. Because let's say, let's say Vegas and Arizona do flip spots. People have been focusing on the Coyotes. Oh, they're only four back. Uh, Minnesota is nine back. So even if they flip spots and they end up, and And they're still what is it now, four points clear of Dallas, so they would fall into that first wild card spot. they'd still play Calgary or San Jose in the first round. Um, it, it It doesn't really affect things that much, and it, let's say Dallas catches them too, which I, I don't think that's going to happen. Last night was a big game going towards that then Then they'll play either Winnipeg or Nashville, and you could make the argument that that Vegas matches up um, pretty good with I- I any of those top four teams um. I'm not. And, and I think their focus now is should be pushing. They have 83 points. Winnipeg has 86. Nashville has 85. So they still have a good chance to pass both those teams where if it gets to the Western conference final, again, Vegas could, could snag home ice, um, out of that if they get through the first two rounds. So I think that's more of the focus than, oh the Knights could miss the playoffs because, and I heard that on the radio driving around yesterday, um, I don't I don't see that being the case. I think the Knights are secure. I think they're going to take that three spot, and I think they obviously match up with either Calgary or San Jose in the first round, and I like their chances in either one of those series. But, but a good game last night, good week for the Golden Knights. Um, Gallant did something a little interesting. There's talk around here early in the week. Uh, the Vancouver game, he played Flurry, and then Calgary was the back-to-back, and he let Subon go in, in Calgary um a couple reasons for that one you're, you're trying to get points and vancouver the the weaker of the two squads you're going to start your best goaltender you're going to make sure of those two points on the road and they did that and then you take your chances calgary was going to have an emotional home game after uh the knights pretty much gave them a thumping in las vegas the week before so it, you take a little of the emotion out of the game There's Flurry challenging the other goalie to a goalie fight. There was scrums. There was running flurry. So you, by by starting Subban, you take a little bit of the emotion out of that game, and and Calgary was able to win for sure. Um, no problem with that. And then they had the weird four days off and come back and play a nice gritty two one win where they had to kill two penalties in the last five minutes of that game to hold on for a tight two one win. Um, I th- that that gives the Knights seven out of eight in the stone age, seven and one since the trade deadline. And, you know, the, the earlier, earlier win streak where they had won seven in a row uh, we've talked about, it was against decidedly uh, mediocre opposition, if you will. Um, this time around since the trade deadline, Dallas is in there twice. They were they, you know, they beat Calgary in that streak um, Vancouver on the road, Vancouver's a tough place to play. And they've got a lot of good fast, skilled players there. Um, so I, I'm more impressed now with this win streak and the seven out of eight than I was with the six in a row earlier in the season. Um, I think they'll be fine. And let me, let me give you a stat, Chris, out of last night's game. Yeah. And we'll talk about the Mark stone effect here and what he's meant to the, to the team since he's come aboard. He's got a couple goals. Um, there's a couple of points I want to make out of this. Uh, number one, let's just look at it. This is from uh, Ryan, the hockey guy. He's the pre and post game radio host here in town for the Golden Knights. Uh, I'll give his Twitter handle out since I am. Um, he's at Ryan, the hockey guy. Uh, five on five, Corsi for last night's game against Dallas. Patchreddy, Stastny, Stone line. Their Corsi was seventeen to three in their favor. Scoring chances eight to nothing. High danger chances five to nothing. Goals for one to nothing. You can't do much better than that, sir. After looking last year, where the second line scored a bunch but gave up a bunch, that's the the Stone effect for that second line. That they, not only are are Patch caught on fire, and I'll get to that in a minute, but they're their 200-foot play and Stastny just perfect for this kind of center role um, has been fantastic. And then their fourth line play last night, Carpenter, Belmar, and Reeves, with Carey and Halla not being on uh, available, uh, their Corsi was 12 to two. Their scoring chances were seven to one against. Their high danger chances were three nothing, and their goals four were one nothing. And usually, that's the Gerard Gallant key to success is if you can roll that fourth line. And that that's when the Golden Knights are playing their best hockey is, is when that fourth line is making that kind of a contribution and keeping the puck in the offensive zone for really the majority of their shift. And even to do it on a road when the other team's matching up, uh, the Eakin line struggled a little bit last night, but there's a lot of teams that are going to struggle against Radul offline. line. Um, But, but those two lines and, and, you know, Marshall Carlson and Smith, they they weren't really on the scorebook last night, but they were rolling their line. They were playing their possession game. They had a lot of high, high chance, high danger opportunities. And uh, Carlson even had a breakaway. That was a penalty shot. There was a, a nice save on the other end. So uh, Vegas, I think firing on all cylinders. The other thing I noticed in last night's game, and I've noticed it for a couple games now, um, with stone joining that second line, Gallant has Max jetty become the primary four checker on that line in in five on five situations and what's that done and and we've been critical of patch uh moving his feet and and doing the work on this show and now I got to give him credit because becoming the primary four checker on that line it's caused him to get down in the in the op- in the opposition zone um, not the best, most effective four check. But what it does is it gets him active. It gets him involved in, in the 200-foot game. And at, when he, when he's on his way back, it allows him to get into his scoring chances easily in, in the offensive zone. And it, with Stastny and, and Stone being on that line, uh, they're finding him where he needs the puck to be successful. And I think last night was his fifth goal um in those eight games so uh i i give patch credit for taking that role and, and you know defense breeds offense kind of a thing so you know stick tap to patch for taking that role and, and it's obviously helped his offensive game and just him being more active he threw a couple hits last night that, that you don't usually see um so a good week for for max patch as well sir
1: yeah, what jumps out to me about Stone is, look, he's a top player. Uh, doesn't surprise me. You know, uh, you add a top player to your team. It's you look at. It's just in this this short sample right out of the gate. It's, it seems like uh, seamless. Like it's it's like he's been playing with those guys all yes. year long. And you well, and one might say, well, wait a minute, there are, there are also really good players. Why would that be such a thing? On uh, hockey, it, it, it kind of is. It is. I mean, just look at Columbus as an example, and we'll talk about them later. But They've been talking about since they've made the train trades that they did, even though we added some some real high, good uh, level and high level talent, especially in Matt Shane, That it's a little bit of a transition time, and that doesn't seem to be the case uh, regarding um, Mark Stone and the Knights. So that that says a lot about him, but also says a lot about you know his two way game. And and uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean he's he's uh, he's made them uh, you know he's made them better and. Um, All around. They're going to need that. All around. They're going to need that because, like you said, I don't know how it's all going to play out. My guess is my money's on they'll finish in the number three spot. Uh, I'd be kind of surprised if that didn't happen. But anyway, you slice it, they're going to get a tough first-round opponent, and they're going to uh, uh, start uh, on the road. On the road. So so, uh, they're going to have to be at their best uh, to get through the first round. Um, So adding Mark Stone will go a long way – uh, to that. Well, you said you had some news on Hala and Carrier.
0: Yes, sir. They're both, um, okay. uh, non, non-contact, but just at the all-star break, they posted a picture on Instagram with, with Perron, Marceau and Hala on, on the bow of a boat somewhere in Hawaii. Um, you know, taking their all-star break to the fullest, but, uh, and there, there was a good six, eight inch scar on Hall's knees. So we can, we can figure out what the injury was, but, uh, to have him come back and, and be skating, uh, five, six, five months after that kind of an injury and skating, wearing full pads, full gear, um, doing stick handling, doing stick drills. He's on the ice by himself, but he's, he's, he, he is skating. He's on the ice and carry a, Looks to be moving from the week-to-week category to the day-to-day category. Um, I'll look okay. for him maybe to return uh, in the Winnipeg game Thursday of next uh No. Yeah, Winnipeg Thursday of next week, I would think. You know, he'll need a few more days of conditioning. Um, but Halla will be an interesting addition if he can – you know, we're still – three, three Sundays away from the end of the regular season. So let's say he right. misses the first round and the, and the, the he advances Add, adding an Eric Holland and a 30 goals from, from last year and that kind of skill, Sure. He'll be rusty. Sure. Sure. He'll need a few games to get back up to speed. Um, just, but that, that's a very nice addition to have. If you're going to carry him on the playoff roster and, and, uh, so, little injury update. Hall is back on the ice in full gear participating. Um, there's there's the other and I'm trying to look it up right now. A- anyway, that's that's our injury update. Hall is skating. Um Carrier is skating. He's moving into the day-to-day category and we can we can hope that in the next 3 to 4 3 weeks or so that that Hall comes into full practice wearing the non-contact jersey and then you know, you work his way into the lineup from there. That'll be a nice boost to the Golden Knights offense as they go forward into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, this is, you know, not an easy week this week. They got Edmonton at home tomorrow night. Edmonton always seems to give them a tough time. And then, uh, and then absent San Jose on Monday, back to back, and then Thursday at home for Winnipeg. And those are the next three, uh, their next game for the games before next week's show. So, uh, again, they need to keep on, keep it on, Putting the points in the cookie jar. And, um, you know, I, I think it's unless unless either Calgary or San Jose, uh, someone really struggles down the finish line. Roughly about, what, 11, 12 games to go being, I believe, uh, what, a dozen points behind both of them roughly? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. But,
0: Negative. again, at the end of
1: the day, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is, and they're going to get probably one of those teams for the for the first round, if you will. So, uh, why don't we jump into around the league? Uh, so, A little news. The NHL announced that the lottery has been moved up this year. They, the last few years, they've had the lottery on the last Saturday in April during uh, uh, the Saturday night playoff game, or right before the 8 o'clock game. Uh, this year it's moved up to April 9th, which I don't have the calendar in front of me, but is re- literally at the very start of the playoffs. So, um, so we'll, know, we'll know right away um, um, who's going to be where in terms of the slots for, for the first 15 slots for the NHL draft. And obviously uh, it, it's a very intriguing draft with a couple of potential uh, franchise players at the top of the board. So uh, that's something um, I want to keep an eye out for.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then real quick, Chris, one more thing about the Golden. Yep. Uh, Odd opportunity to add another player to the roster before the playoffs begin. And that's one Nikita Gusev. His rights were obtained from Tampa, (coughs) excuse me, at the expansion draft to leave some of their players alone. He's gone on to be a KHL MVP and their leading scorer this year. He's already indicated that he'd like to join the team after this season is over and Scott St. Petersburg is in the playoffs, but let's say they, they uh, get bounced in the next round. I think they've already advanced into the second round. Vegas has the opportunity to sign him to his entry level contract and bring him into the roster and carry him forward. He was the KHL leading scorer this year, 17 goals, 65 assists in 65 games. So that just, uh, it's another Another guy to keep your eye on if you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan that uh you know, you, another addition and, and let's let's be honest, the the first Russian uh for A, if you will, from the Golden Knights didn't work out the way they thought it would. But um so you take that with a grain of salt and do you want to burn a full year of his entry level contract for a playoff run? Um and then next and year also, he's an like
1: off it's also about fitting in as well as I said before. Yes, sir. I mean, Mark Stone has made it look seamless, but it's and it not isn't. always the case like that. So if he's Correct. jumping, you know, you like to have. If that's going to happen, you would like that there will be a few regular season games left uh, to see where he goes. A couple, at least, to see where it's at. So it's something to keep an eye on, on for sure. For sure. For sure. But what we? Decision uh, why me. don't we talk? Why don't we talk about my Yotes? Uh, ever since I made the proclamation, in it to made, win it, they've made me—they've made me look good. Uh, to me, they are—you know—they're kind of the, the the surprise team of the West this year. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the Panthers in a few minutes with Danny, a fan-sided, and you know, when we talk about Florida, I remember when we had Dan Harrigan on, and rightfully so, he said, "You know what really killed Florida this year was when they lost Prochak for a period of time." And I, I'm like, absolutely. I get it, and he's a really big player. But, you
0: Next
1: know, man injuries. And no one's had more injuries this year than Arizona. I mean, they lost their yeah. their number one netminder for pretty much the whole year. They've, they've been besieged with injuries, uh, not just on the NHL level, but on the AHL level. Um, so, I mean, I know the West isn't as strong as, as the East. Uh, so, for instance, Arizona is sitting at 77 points, occupying a wild card spot right now. If they were in the East, they would be six points, I believe, out of a wild card spot. But be that as it may, you know, let's not punish them for the geography. Uh, This is a team that's been doing it by winning low-scoring games, getting really strong goaltending from Darcy Kemper, which was a great little pickup from last year. And their secret uh, superpower has been the penalty kill. They're one of the top teams in the league in terms of killing penalties, which goes along with winning those kind of low-scoring games. So I do not they don't have a 20-goal scorer on the roster. I think Richardson leads the team in goals. I think he's around 16 or 17. Uh, they don't have a player with 50 points. I think Clayton Keller is somewhere in the mid-40s or a little bit above that. Uh, but, you know, Rick Tonkett is really uh, uh, getting, you know, having this team move along. And I think it would be great for them if they could – finish this off, get one of those wild-card spots, and then, you know, enter the playoffs uh, as a pure, you know, not that they're not going to try to win, but in terms of, uh, you know, let's just go out, have some fun, loosey-goosey, play our game, and let the chips fall where they may and be a great learning experience for this young team.
0: Yeah, no question. And I've said, I've said on the show it's all well and good to be winning games in November. And December, but show me that you can win games <clears throat> when you're when you're down and out in in March, and you're and you're trying to make a push. Well, this team's proven that they can. And you say low scoring games? They're winning games in a bunch of different ways. Um, Thursday against Anaheim, six one. Tuesday against the St. Louis Blues, three one. Monday against Chicago, uh, they got a smoked. Be, that was they a big, got smoked. Uh, that <laughs>
2: that showed
0: one. me a
1: lot. That showed me a the, lot that they got smoked the by Chicago. Yeah, yeah, and and you know that's probably an easy game. In fact, St. Louis would be the more difficult game, you would say. Yeah. Uh, by far, and they for them to bounce back after getting smoked that showed me a lot.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And then Kings four two Calgary two nothing, three one five two against Vancouver. Four three Florida, four one against Winnipeg. The, as far as the the quality of competition in in their winning streak, you know, hats off to the Arizona Coyotes. Um, hopefully that the fans will get excited about that club. And and they had a good crowd last night. I saw part of the game last night, um, or Thursday night. And and it they had uh, they had a good crowd there. I, it, and and hopefully the community can rally around them, and and get excited about this team because, like you said, this is a a a team winning winning by committee, um, with the the injuries that they have and are still still suffering from, um, they're, they're yeah they're without Derek
1: Stepan as a as an has been out for, uh, almost what I think a week and a half ten days he's yeah. supposedly going to come back towards the end of the regular season I mean so they've just been. Besieged, uh, uh, you know, with entries, and you know they have they play Edmonton at home tonight, and this to me circled the calendar. The next uh, eight days, if you will, is really the crucial part for me of where they're going to be. They go on a four-game road trip from Mon- this Monday to Sunday, and they go to Tampa, Florida, which is Tampa, Florida, New Jersey, and the Islanders. So. If they can go, uh, you know, at least 2-2 two two in there, you know, yep, um, uh, that would be okay, I think, because Minnesota is not exactly laying the world on fire, and Colorado, you know, they lost at home last night to Anaheim, so uh, Chicago is trying to get back in it, but, um, yeah, so if they, you know, and then at that point, you know, they after that trip is over, you know, you're talking about you have six games left for them.
0: Yeah, and and... Let's see, four of them are at home. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, yeah, I I I agree with you. you it, if you're Arizona, you want to circle the middle games. Obviously, you want to get Florida. You want to get New Jersey. And if they could take one each, either Tampa or in you know in not in your favor, the Islanders. You get one of those two, and both the games in the middle. That's a heck of a road trip, and I think that puts you in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and you know, if, oh, and and if if nothing else, they could take those two, and then even just get another point, uh, if you will, uh, in, in the Islander Tampa Bay uh, Tampa Bay games, and come home getting what five out of eight. You know, I think you'd sign yeah, up for that.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent.
1: And so then we go to the East, and we got you know right now we have Columbus at eighty three, Carolina eighty three, Montreal at eighty one. And you know, a uh, big win last night, um uh big win last night for um Columbus. Columbus. Uh, Braboski yes. really uh the the good Braboski or the great Braboski showed it, showed himself last night, which was very timely. Uh three nothing win for Columbus, although Carolina outshot them forty six to twenty, so a forty six save shutout performance by Broboski. Um that's the last time Columbus and Carolina will play uh this season. Um uh, Montreal has one game left both with Columbus, Carolina, so something to circle there. Um Columbus has a tough stretch right now, although they've you know, after a tough loss at uh to the Islanders early in the week, they came back uh on the second game of back to back, beating Boston, winning last night. They're back they're in Boston tonight and they start a four game trip themselves. Tough and then they game. go to the Pacific North Pacific Northwest. So they got Boston and then Calgary and then in some water, Edmonton, Vancouver, and then they come back to finish things off. Um, so not easy. I think, were not sure. I think all three teams, uh, none of them have an easy schedule. I mean, there's going to be, unless somebody above really struggles down the stretch, you got to figure that two of those three teams are going to be the wild card teams coming out of the East.
0: Yeah. T- tough game tonight for Columbus. Um, they're gonna catch an angry Boston Bruins team coming off coming off a loss in Winnipeg um, I'm trying to pull their schedule up real quick. There we go. Ooh, yeah, they've lost three in a row. It's even worse yeah, it's even worse than that. They're gonna catch a angry Bruins team right now, losing to Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Winnipeg on the road and then coming back their first game at home. Um probably just as well they started Babrovsky. Kind of the same philosophy that uh Gerard Gallant used uh with the Vancouver Calgary back to backs. Um probably just as well Columbus went with Bavrowski last night, and maybe we'll see Corpusalo in that tonight in in Boston. I'm not saying you throw those two points away, but I think Boston's going to come out on fire tonight. And and look, I've I've been vocal about my thoughts on Columbus and <clears throat> excuse me. Um it it is a a three-team race for that last spot. I like Carolina to go ahead and get a playoff spot. We kind of talked early uh, early in the season on our preview that this could be that that season for Carolina. People have been looking at them last couple of years since Justin Williams been back um, to take that next step. And they're certainly right there. Um, They do have a game in hand on both Columbus and Montreal. And I mean, it's not going to shock me if, if Montreal passes Columbus, we talked about how tough their schedule was the rest of the way last week. Um, They, they, they've had a good week. Um, Excuse me. Um, The East, I, I think, Philly's last two games. I think we can can we write Philly off? Can can we? Yeah, those they, last they two games. That's schedule. that's a killer. Uh,
1: they and they have they have only ten games left, and they have a brutal schedule down the stretch. So uh, and they're five points back and having played one more game. So, I mean, they would almost have to run the table pretty much. Maybe. Yeah. You know, talking about going like nine and one. Um,
0: Good run by the Philly thing,
1: though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I they mean, made the it interesting.
0: Of, uh, Go ahead.
1: Yeah, the other thing about Columbus, too, for me, that's just as important in terms of getting in. Uh, you know, to me, they need to pass Carolina uh,
0: cause, you don't want Tampa. You know, if they get
1: in, and at that point, and get Tampa. I, I don't think that's a good matchup at all.
0: <laughs> and uh,
1: getting Tampa, I, look, anyone facing Tampa is going to be a tough matchup. But I think that's a real tough matchup for Columbus. And you know, if they if they make the playoffs, and then you know, kind of lose the temp in a one-sided affair in five games.
0: I mean, I, I mean, to
1: me, I mean, I guess it's not as god awful of missing the playoffs entirely and trading all those draft picks. But it's first
0: round exit doesn't. I mean, uh, yeah, oof.
1: yeah. So they, to me, for for any chance of a path for long-term playoff success, they don't just have to make the playoffs. They have to finish at least ahead of, you know, finish at least in the number one wild card spot.
0: Yeah, that that the I think that the team speed and the offensive skill that Tampa has is a tough matchup for anybody, but I think the team speed would be the the factor in that series. I'm not sure I'm not sure Columbus can keep up on a, on just a pure team speed level that that Tampa going to be playing at. One, well I will say this one bright spot for Philly, they did make a great run and and we did find out that Carter Hart is going to be everything that they hoped he would be. Um 13, 13, nine and one, 2.85, 0.915 save, save percentage in his first year, um, 23 games played. I think that, you know, that's been the bugaboo with this club for the last few years is, is the goaltending and I mean, bright spot for Philly. They, they, they had a great run coming, coming down the stretch. I think they're going to come up a little bit short, but I, I think their goaltender of the future is now and, and Carter Hart's come up and, and that's a bright spot for Philly fans, no question.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean but I, I think they're you know, the, basically what got uh, got them is the end of the regulars uh, the beginning of the season and it was just too much of a hill to climb. And I'm sure they were expecting uh you know a, a, a step forward this season and we'll be able to them. see how yeah how how yeah, how how they attack the off season. Uh, and uh you know moving uh moving forward you know so They're uh, one of
0: my failures in the uh our preseason picks is I had had them taking a step forward this year and they you know they didn't they got off to a horrible start their their big name free agent acquisition went down for a month and they weren't able to recover in time but uh yeah you can pick up what do you think their, their goaltenders you got a safe set you have your your skill forwards you you just got to look at maybe a, a stay at home defenseman or maybe two, because they have Proveroff and Gossospear. They their their puck moving defensemen are, are well set for the next few years. So maybe you pick up a nice stay at home defenseman and, and a little little defensive structure, and Philly will be okay coming up.
1: That's yeah, a tough division, you know. So I, I yep. think they just need to they need to get. <laughs> Uh, it might sound silly, but they, you know, they, uh, they, they, they need to get better. And obviously, a veteran goaltender to go along with uh, um, the young goaltender, if that's going to wind up being re-signed, Cam Talbot, and um, um, you know, some of their young guys to take, kind of take the next step forward from, you know, Nolan Patrick. Overall, uh, Konecki has had a good year. You know, having a healthy Van Riemsdyk, probably adding another player in there. You know, so they, they got, they still have work to do.
0: Yeah, still, th- and, and, and a lot who's of that can come coach. with coach. Yeah, yeah, a and lot of that's going to come from continue. within them.
1: Yeah, will it be Scott Gordon? Will they try to go after a big name coach like Joe Quinville? Um, so do uh, in, in uh, Philly, but like I said, they're in a very tough
0: division. So, yeah, well, I see. Dan, Danny's jumped in. Uh, uh, there he is. Let's go ahead and. Hey guys. Yeah, uh, I
2: tried. Connect, I tried connecting through my computer. It wasn't working. Yeah,
0: I so saw you I there. It, did, did it kick oh, you was off? Was it working? Yeah, I saw yeah. you. You were in the queue. I just I, we were in the middle of the thought, and I didn't bring you in right away. But uh, anyway, okay. it's good to Can have I, you on, Danny. This. Thank it, you. Can I you uh, like,
2: reconnect through my computer, if that's okay? Sh- sure thing. Okay, I'm going to do that right now. One sec. Um.
0: Guys, we, we're we're bringing in Danny Janikas. He is the Florida Panthers writer and and helps helps run the fan sided uh, fan sided webpage. Let me bring him in right here for the Florida Panthers. The Rat Trick. Danny, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. All right, all right. Well, let's let's get the elephant in the room out of the way. Vegas Golden Knights Nation would like to thank the Florida Panthers for the contribution of head coach Gerard Gallant to the Vegas Golden Knights uh, franchise. Uh, How long have you been covering the Florida Panthers, and what was your initial reaction back then when Gerard Gallant was let go? Uh,
2: I've been covering the Florida Panthers uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, in regards to uh, Gallant, uh, I've believed since day one that it was a huge mistake. Uh, they fired him way too soon. Uh, if we go back in time, uh, when Florida was uh, in that playoff hunt, when they were dealing with those boatloads of injuries, when Hubert O'Barkov and uh, even Bukestad was down, they were only about a point or two away from that wild card spot. And uh, it was pretty impressive what Gallant was able to do with a depleted roster. So I think they definitely should have They should have kept him on the bench. And, have, and if they did, I think they would have made the playoffs. Um, he, again, he really instilled great chemistry in the room and on the ice. And uh, best of all, he really brought the best out of uh, Jonathan Huberto, uh, who I, I'm sure you guys know very well of. He's one of our consistent Absolutely. goals through the last few years. And, um, you know, Gallant really brought the best out of him because he was coming off a really bad sophomore slump so and uh, those two have uh, they they go way back back to uh, st john sea dog so back in the queue so um it it was definitely a big mistake but now it's water under the bridge and florida has to
0: move on at this point and and, and go, going down that, I think that might be his best contribution to the Vegas Golden Knights is the the chemistry in the room and how he how he brought that group together from an expansion team, and and a bunch of uh, misfits as they called themselves the Golden Misfits and turned them into a a, a well knit cohesive unit. Even even early in training camp, uh, in their inaugural season, uh, the chemistry amongst the guys was was evident right away. Uh, and when, when you have that belief in each other in the room and, and you and you're playing for each other i think that's one of the biggest things in hockey way more so than in other sports where you know individuals can carry a team that may not be a cohesive unit uh plenty of examples all over the place um but that as as far as Jar Gallant's concerned that might be one of his strongest assets as a coach is being able to bring that room together and get the most out of the players that he has. And I think that's something that in my mind, uh, Florida's missing. There's, the, the, there's too much talent and, and skill on this club to be as underperforming. And we know, we know Trocek was a big loss earlier in the season, but we have to go to the next man up philosophy and you got to rally around those kinds of injuries and overcome them. Um, is, is there something that, that you guys have reported on there at therattrick.com that it, it, there's, there's an it factor that you have with, with a group of guys like this? And I just feel like, the, and, and I've said this on the show before, <clears throat> I, I just think Florida's missing that, that indefinable it that separates playoff teams from lottery teams. Uh, do, do you feel that as you go through and cover the, floor, the Florida Panthers, sir?
2: Uh, well, I think I think we do have an it player, and I think that it player is Alexander Barkov, who I think is the most underrated player uh, in the National Hockey League. I'm, I know uh, some people agree with me, and then there's also people that uh, also disagree with me because they believe that he's starting to get the recognition he deserves. Um, but going back to your point, uh, this team ha- has indeed played like an average team this year, but I think it stems more than from the top six because their top six is fine. Uh, if you take a look at our top six, it's pretty strong, as you noted. You know, you got Huberov yeah, up, sure. Barkov. You got Dadinov, who's on a really good team-friendly deal for uh, what we brought him over from Russia. He's a he's a good 60, 65 point getter. You know, we brought in Hoffman for next to nothing, as you mentioned. Trochek, who went down earlier in the year. However, it is it is worth noting that he did not start the year off very well this year. So. I kind of can't pinpoint that as to why we're going to miss the playoffs this year. But I think our, uh, our issues stem more between uh, two glaring uh, issues. And those two glaring issues are very obvious. One, we don't have a number one starting goaltender. Our, our starting goaltender is Roberto Luongo. He's turning 40 in a month, and his best days are way behind him. Our backup is James Reimer. problem with James Reimer is he's far too inconsistent, and uh, his contract's not looking very good so goaltending obviously number one and then number two defense the the decor needs to be rebuilt uh florida really needs to look at acquiring a number two and a number three defenseman and uh if if they do focus on those two glaring issues in the summer as well as adding more depth to their bottom six because uh bottom six at times was looking pretty um it was pretty it was looking pretty weak and uh and that's and that's why guys like Barkov and Huberdeau were were being overplayed uh, throughout the season, and and now you're you're starting to see it uh, with with all their tiredness and stuff, which Hukner has not done a very good job with. So if if Florida go into the off season and they address their goaltending needs and they add a couple of defensemen, this team could be legit. Hey, Danny, great to
1: have you on the show. So, uh, given all that right now is Bob Buchner is he gonna is his job in question, I won't say in jeopardy, come the end of the regular season, and he is he the right head coach to, you know, lead the Panthers from, you know, a non playoff team to at least a playoff team next year.
2: Well personally speaking, I don't think Bob Boogner's uh, the correct coach or the right coach for that fact of the matter for this team. I think his job should be in jeopardy. Uh, Florida went out and they got Hoffman. Obviously, we lost Trochek to injury, but again, that's that's no excuse. We came in with more depth this year. But again, you know when you're, drafting, when you're dressing guys like McGinn, Michael Haley on the bottom line, as well as Troy Brower, you're not going to get the results. But going back to Bob Buchner, yes, his job should absolutely be in jeopardy. But Dale Talon uh, spoke to the media not too long ago, about a month, month and a half ago half ago uh, in a press conference. And he said that he likes Bob Brugner and he does see him as the, as the future of the Florida Panthers head coach. And he also does believe in Bob Brugner. So to answer your question, as much as I think that his job should be in jeopardy and I would love to go after another coach. I don't know how, uh, how active you see my tweets or whatnot, but I've said that this team needs a new coach and they should be looking at a guy like coach Quenville, who has a fantastic resume and who has brought a young team like Chicago and turned them uh, into a dynasty, I think he would be great on this team, especially going back to the relationship he has with Dale back in Chicago. But back to the question again, uh, it seems like Florida believes in Bob Bugner, and they're going to ride him throughout the future. So uh, I guess to give you the short answer, I do believe his job should be in jeopardy, but it won't for the reasons I've provided.
1: Well, you know, the worst-kept secret, it seems like, in the NHL is that the portfolio players are going to go all in on Borbowski and Panarin, who are set to become unrestricted free agents on July 1, and for different reasons, both are going to be looking to depart Columbus. Now, based on what you uh, – a couple points here, I want to get your feedback. If, if this is – you know, obviously, those are two star-powered players, uh, if you will um, – uh, but are, is are, is this the right moves for Florida from the, from the, this standpoint? One, it doesn't seem like even though Florida's been a very you know let's face it a 500 hockey team right they're on pace for roughly 82 points and 82 games if you will uh, scoring has for the most part not been an issue and if they sign Panera to a huge deal with Hoffman and Antono one year away both one year away from free agency. Uh, both at much smaller numbers, odds are one of them is, at least one of them is going to have to go via trade. Now, maybe it could shore up another area. Uh, but you mentioned that, you know, the biggest issues on this team is goaltending, uh, defense after, after probably Flat, getting the defense uh, more in, in line and goal uh, and, uh, and the bottom six. Now Bobowski could fill uh, a huge uh, hole in goal in goal, but, you know, you guys have kind of been down the road of giving a, you know, going with a, a goalie in their 30s. Now, granted, I think Bobrovsky will be 32 um, uh, come uh, July, uh, come beginning of next year. But giving a goalie in his 30s a long-term deal, you've kind of been there, done that, and it didn't work out. You know, there were a couple of good years in there, but you're kind of paying the piper now for it. Uh, and then what does that mean with Luongo and Reimer where they have to buy someone out? So, how do those pieces all come into play with that? And, and is that is that are those two guys the solution?
2: All right. So obviously, great question. Uh, there's a lot to break down here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go step by step. Uh, I'm gonna start with Artemi Panarin. Do I believe he's the right move to be made? Yes, absolutely. I do think the Panthers should uh, not only kick tires on him, which they already have, as you, as you've seen from tweets from. Uh, Pierre LeBron and Bob McKenzie, but they should actively pursue him in the summer, especially considering that they dumped Jared McCann, Nick Bukestad onto the Pittsburgh Penguins as a salary cap dump, uh, opening up more salary cap space for the future, which kind of correlates towards going after Panarin uh, in the summer. So yes, absolutely. They should go after Panarin in the summer. He's a, he's a home run player. I I think so. He's a great player and uh he's easily the best player on the open market this summer kind of like what you saw with John Tavares uh last summer so yeah the the Panthers should absolutely go for him uh i do believe he would put us over the top not o- not only offensively but uh overall as well um and again they they have a lot of cap space so they should make it work Now, if they go and sign Panarin, that means they will lose one of Dadanoff and Hoffman. Which one do you keep? Which one do you dangle? It it becomes a pretty tough decision, but uh, because I follow Florida pretty extensively, uh, I would keep Dadanoff considering that when his contract's done, he's going to demand for a a cheaper uh, deal, which will involve less term. You're looking in the ballpark of four to five years. A guy like Hoffman, who's on pace for 40 goals at the end of the season, is probably going to ask or demand for at least a seven- to eight-year deal, I'm thinking, based on what you're seeing on, in the market today. And uh, he could get upwards of $7 million, uh, per season. And I just, And as much as I like Hoffman, I don't think he's worth it, and I don't think it would make sense if Florida brings him back on those conditions and terms. So what I would do with Hoffman is he has another year left on his deal, which is great. Uh, you don't necessarily have to rush a trade, which is also good because you can get max value for him. What I've been saying over the past month is, if the deal is right, you go and you trade Hoffman. Hoffman can easily fetch a top four defenseman and a pick in return, which would address one glaring need for Florida. That way, if Panarin comes, not only do you have enough space, but you can, but you also have a spot available which Hoffman won't be taking, and you won't kind of flood. Uh, your top 6 that way and it's also worth mentioning that Panarin is good friends with Evgeny Dadenhoff. They go all the way back to the KHL and the Russian playing days. So uh I I know those two would probably like to play together if uh, you know if if everything works out well and uh, Florida's definitely going to be on half um on Panarin from what I've read and also from what LeBron and McKenzie have tweeted. So definitely, they should go after Panarin. Now, in terms of Bobrovsky, that's that's kind of where it becomes questionable. There's there's two you know there's two sides uh, to this equation, so to speak. You know, there's the you know you can definitely be pro bobrovsky in terms of bringing him him in. He does make sense. Uh, he is 30 years old, but the problem I have with Bobrovsky is he's been really inconsistent this year. He's also been really inconsistent in the past, especially in the postseason. And he's also going to be demanding for a pretty Hefty deal uh, in the range of 7 to 8 years Um, And I don't know if I would Want to give Bobrovsky a 7 year deal Especially if a guy like Sam Montenbolt Our our youngster Is ready and he's looked pretty good As of late. Obviously it's too small Of a sample size to judge but We're going to see based on Montenbolt throughout the rest of the season uh, Throughout the rest of the games He has to play so uh, With Bobrovsky it all depends with Sam Montembeau if Sam if they believe that Sam Montembeau is not only the goalie of the future but he can play in the present then getting a guy like Bobrovsky may not make sense just based on fit and obviously salary cap wise because you could go and uh, pursue someone cheaper and someone who can also give you the same type of production you know you can look at someone like uh, Semin Varlamov who's also a pretty good goaltender he can he could easily play in front or behind of Montembeau, and he and he would be cheaper than uh, Bobrovsky as well, and and he's really not that far off Bobrovsky. Whether you think Bobrovsky is better or not, so in terms of Panarin and Bobrovsky, the Panthers definitely have a lot of work to do this summer. Uh, I would de- they definitely should pursue Panarin, and if they do end up signing Panarin, which I think there's a good chance of, uh, I think that would be the time to start looking to shop Mike Hoffman, so you can. Uh, so you can address a need. I, I definitely think they can get a pick and a defenseman back. And then with Bobrovsky, they have to wait till the end of the season and they gotta see how Sam Montembeau does. Because if they believe he's ready now, then probably targeting someone else who's a bit cheaper but can also offer the same type of production that Bobrovsky can may be the better route to go. So that's where you may wanna push towards a Semin Varlamov type rather than a than a Sergey Bobrovsky type.
1: Yeah, so one last one from me, Danny, before I let Mark finish up with you. By my calculation, you know, Cap Friendly has Florida for next year with 14 players signed and 61 million uh, already invested in in next year's cap. If they were to sign Panarin and Burbashki, we're probably looking at between 18 to 20 million uh, on on cap space uh, on an annual value, give or take. Which would give them uh, basically around four or five million for the final seven players in their roster. So that's a little bit tight. Um, and while Dantino and Hoffman are top six forwards, both with just one year to go on their deal uh, before hitting free agent before being U- UFAs, uh, that would be you know n- that would not uh, be an easy trade to call Team X up and who's looking for scoring and say, hey, we'll trade you Mike Hoffman for this number three defenseman. Meanwhile, the number three defenseman has four years of control. So if they were to sign Pervoski and Pernarin, I don't know, would there be enough room and, and be a trades and cap space to do the work that they need to do on the blue line and the bottom six, which seems to be plentiful based on what you've said?
2: Uh yeah. Um. Again, you you would have to. I'm I'm not uh, when you looked at cap friendly. I'm not sure if you uh, took into account the players that are also coming off the books. Guys like Jamie McGinn, who holds about roughly three,
0: three and change. Right, but this is this,
1: this the people signed for next year already. According to cap friendly, they have 61 million already used up. Now, if they move a Hoffman, who's making I think four and a quarter. That frees up four and a quarter, but if they get a player back, who's playing unless they're getting trading for picks and prospects, they're going to get a player back with a certain cap number. So they they, they have sixty one million invested in next year. So um, that, you know, so they basically have if the cap goes up to eighty three million, like everyone's expecting, they will they have roughly twenty two million in cap space, and on a twenty three man roster, they have to you know sign nine, they have to add nine more players.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be fine because it's it's pretty likely that they're going to move on from one of Roberto Luongo or James Reimer this summer, at the very least. And a guy like James Reimer is making $3.4 million uh, annually, so that would free up some more space, obviously, uh, and, and would give us uh, more room. Also, you know, there is possibly the chance that Luongo maybe does retire or maybe they simply buy out his contract. I'm not not entirely sure what they would do there just because, you know, he he has a lot of history going back with the Florida Panthers and uh, it all depends what Luongo management think there. But I do think that they will be able to fit everyone under the cap. Florida does that usually pretty well. And if it means they have to move a couple of bodies, then that's likely what's going to happen. But Florida is actually in a position to sign uh, and spend this summer rather than uh, sell off and sell off assets.
0: All right, we're talking with Danny Janikas from therattrick.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Rat where he links all of his Florida Panthers content back to therattrick.com. We appreciate taking the time with us this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, to address that one one point, Chris, I think that a team, I think you could find trade partners um, for, for a Matt Hoffman-type player. You could, you know, Nashville was rumored to be in on, on Duchesne, especially in stone a little bit. Minnesota's always looking for scoring and our defense heavy. So I think, I think finding a trade partner, uh, that might be heavy on defense and you'd also be trading him into the other conference, which teams always like to do is, I think it's possible, especially if I think Hoffman's a value at his cap hit, Um,
1: Right, but he's only got one year left of team control. What I'm saying is, I I have no doubt that they'll get value from Mike Hoffman. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you're like, okay, let's find Panarin and then trade Hoffman for a top-four defenseman. Uh, In in theory, that sounds great. But what I'm saying is they're probably going to have to find a team that A, needs scoring, and then B, can trade a top-four defenseman. And then C, the top-four defenseman that they're trading – only has one, maybe at most, two years of team control. I don't think someone's going to trade someone that they have under team control who's, let's say, a, an equivalent value of Hoffman, uh, a defenseman, a top-four defenseman, who they have for the, ne- the next three, four years of team control versus someone who has one year of team control. I just think those two, those two factors make things tricky for Florida if you were going to flip either Dan Deneau or Hoffman for a top four defenseman. I I think that's going to be, that's not going to be easy is my point.
0: No, I think, I think tricky is a good word for it, but not impossible. Florida has a lot of picks in the draft coming up this year. So if you want to uh, sweeten the pot and send the second or a third with him to buy that extra year or two term on a defenseman, I think, I think the teams I mentioned and a few others would be willing to take on Hoffman. And then you have the, Obviously, you get the extra year to offer Hoffman um, if he likes it there, and you can throw the eighth year at him to resign him. Then that's, that also plays in the receiving team's benefit. Um, if if you could add a pick or two, a second and a fifth or a third and a fifth, maybe, um, to make that deal and bring in a, a, a second-pair defenseman, if you will. I think there's enough teams with enough defensive depth that, that – that kind of a deal on, on draft weekend is the kind of deal that's doable. Um, but, but real quick, if you seem to be Danny, pretty, pretty adamant that this should be the year that Florida moves on from, from Luongo and, I don't see a. I, I think it would be much harder to move Luongo and his contract at his age, with the the term and cap hit left on that deal. And, and I think that the buyout would be the only way um, to move on from that. Is you, you kind of touched on it a little bit? and the, the youngster who come up has been playing well and it is a small sample size. Would they be willing to go the next couple of years with Optimus Rhyme as the number one net minder, or at least go into next season with Optimus Rhyme as number one and the youngster um, backing up and learning his way in the NHL? Okay.
2: So um, I'll start with uh, Luongo. Um Going back to Longo, no, I I completely agree with you. He's definitely not going to be traded. No one's going to touch that contract, especially at his age, given his injury uh, histories and concerns. So I definitely wouldn't propose a trade. What's going to happen, kind of like you said, is there's only going to be two options. Either he's going to be bought out, which, again, I'm kind of iffy on just because of the history he has with the Panthers and the respect he has between himself and management. I'm not entirely sure that's going to happen. Or there's the option two, which there could be a mutual agreement that he does decide to retire early for the benefit of the team, and then they just buy out the rest of his contract or whatever they decide to go. It's going to be tricky, as you did, as you mentioned with Luongo. But I, but definitely, it's. Um, I would say that it's easier to move on from Rhymer, even though his contract is pretty bad, uh, even if it means taking on a little bit of, of his salary and retaining it, I would be okay just to get him off the book somewhat and also to open up a spot. But now to trans uh, to translate more into Reimer and uh, what you were asking, uh, no, I don't think Florida should uh, have him going into next season as the starter. Um, I don't think he's good enough in this league to be a starter or even a consistent starter. And if Florida is uh, serious about making the playoffs and taking that next step uh, and, jumping the hurdle of course, then no, they can't go into next season starting with James Reimer. It's either gonna to have to be Sam Montembeau, or it's gonna to have to be a goaltender that they acquired or they signed that's competent enough to put Florida over the edge.
0: That's a tall order for the off season, sir. We're <laughs> oh, we're uh excuse me. I'm a little under the weather this week, so bear with me as I as I lose my lungs and sinuses. Um the town's got a big task in front of him this year and, and it seems like at the trade deadline he's set the stage for what he wants to do and he does have a couple pe- pieces and parts that he can play with um it's going to be a big off season for the florida panthers in the direction that they take and and thank you for giving us your insight on on where you think they might be headed that's uh, my pleasure thanks for
2: having me
0: all right thanks, that's danny, danny. Danny Janikas, he is the writer for the Florida Panthers on the fan-sided website therattrick.com. Well, Chris, I, I I thought that it was going to be kind of an easy conversation and Danny's Danny's given us quite a lot to digest, sir. <laughs>
2: well,
1: yeah, um, I'm uh... Oh, sorry Danny, go ahead.
2: Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, no, I'm uh... Happy to uh give you guys some uh, insight and uh yeah, I know definitely going back to what you're saying about the off season dell has to uh dale has to accomplish a lot and he has to tick off everything on his to do list because he clearly didn't do it last summer, which I uh, wasn't too thrilled about
1: all right thanks danny we'll uh we'll keep an eye out for you and we'll love to have you back on the show uh in the near future
2: hey for sure thanks again guys
1: thanks yeah all right when look, so uh, Mark, when, when... When I look at the Florida Panthers, right, and so what's they need to get stronger on the blue line. Keith Yandel, with they signed to a long term deal, is you know he's not the top, he's not the first pairing defenseman anymore. They got a lot of work to do on the blue line. They have a lot of work to do on their bottom six, and they have to get their goaltending straightened out. Now for the right deal, I'm I try to get me Bobrovsky a year older than he should have. He turns thirty one in uh, late September. For the right deal for Brabovsky, it it makes sense. I wouldn't go, you know, six, seven, eight years if they can get him done on a five-year deal. Maybe that, I don't know if that will work out or whatnot. So I can I can see that at an you know obviously an aggressive number. Probably you're looking at somewhere between somewhere around what he's making now, seven million. When I all the things I just checked off with the Panthers, Oleging, I mean, while Panarin's an exciting player. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a force. Uh, I, you know, they're in their top six. I mean, they have Huberdeau, Barkov, Dandenault, Torchette, Hoffman. Now, I'm sure they're hoping a couple of their young guys that they've drafted recently, like Borkstrom Volkstrom or an Owen Tippett, that maybe next year that they can take a step forward. I, I just don't see how Canarin, while he's a star player, I don't. You know, I don't see how that makes sense to me. And unless somehow you can uh, trade a Hoffman or uh, trade a Dandano for a defenseman, a, a real strong, and I have questions about that. Maybe I'm underselling what they can get on the market for them. Um, you know, there's all different kinds of top four defensemen. I mean, so, um, but I just don't see how, you know, how adding Panarin is the right move for them. I mean, I get it. He'd be it's a pure add. You're adding a, a star forward. But just because you add a star forward doesn't mean, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're going to be a Sailing Cup contender. I mean, Columbus is fighting tooth and nail, and they made all these kind of, all these moves for the deadline, and, they're, and they had Panera in the whole year, and they're, they're hanging by their fingernails to make the playoffs. So I just don't, you know, again, I expect them to do that. But I, I just question if that's the right move, and I think they have a lot of needs, and it's going to take a, you know, eleven plus million dollar annual contract on a seven year deal, to get whoever wants a Panarin. I think that's going to be his market. So going to be a, there will be competition from a number of teams, and that's what he's going to get. I, I just don't. But I think uh, I think Florida's is hell bent on it, and I don't know if that's the right needs for them. And they're in a tough division because for the next couple of years, at minimum, probably more, you know, Tampa, Boston, and Toronto aren't going anywhere. And the other, you know, teams like Buffalo are, even though they've struggled in the second half of the season mightily. You know, teams like that are trying to um, – and then Montreal is obviously taking a big step forward this year. So they're not in an easy division.
0: No, no, no question about it. I think – I think – I think if you have to buy out Luongo, you have to buy out Luongo. I think he, that gives you uh, more cap freedom. To gives you some,
1: make. but you're still going to have a hit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I you think are. This number is like four and a half. Same thing with Reimer, uh, Rhymer. So you're still, I mean, it will free up. I don't have the calculations in front of me, uh, but it will free up some money. But it's not going to free up a ton. You know, you're not going to go from, you know, four to zero. I mean, you're. Probably going to go cut no, the number, no, sure. maybe. I think it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and those two guys are going to cost a fortune. And the other thing is, last point on, I want to throw out to you at Hoffman is, let's say you're the Islanders, right? As a perfect trading partner from the, I know they're not in the West, but there's a team that could really use a scorer like Mike Hoffman. Well, if you're Lulu Amarelo, when you're you're in Florida, calls you about making a trade. And you're saying like, well, wait a minute. It's not just the trade, not just the player or players or player and picks, whatever it may be. Also, if I'm going to make this trade, it only makes sense that I'm going to do this because I'm not just trading for Mike Hoffman for one year. That I would sign him to an extension because I feel like he will be part of the solution of me taking a big step forward uh, by adding him. So then it's the equation of okay. Well, what is it going to take to sign him? And if someone says to Lou, well, you know, Lou, to sign Mike Hoffman, you're going to have to give him a seven-year extension at, you know, seven-plus million a year. You might say, well, I don't want to do that. You know, so that might – if I'm just thinking, you know, because to me it's a, two, it's a two-step dance uh, number here. If you're, a fellow, if you're a fellow GM and you're interested in Mike Hoffman, one, you have to um, figure out a trade for him that you believe is the right fit for the year now. But, two, you also feel like he's the right fit for the here and now for the next several years at a high cap, at a good bang for your cap buck and payroll. And that's another big box to check off. So someone might say, hey, look, if you're a Lou Lamorello as an example, I would love to have Mike Hoffman for the next three years. You may not feel that way if it's for the next seven or eight years or so. And this would be Mike Hoffman's 13 in three years, and obviously there was a lot of drama Going on with his
0: yeah, last, yeah, so I don't know
1: how that comes to, comes into play. So, like I said, I mean, he, he's fitting well down there from a st- scoring standpoint. Obviously, they've given up too many goals down there, but it just seems. I mean, it's hard to fathom that Panarin's going to going to be a better offensive player than my confidence's been for them this year. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't think it's. I I think there would, would be another path other than they're adding a star player. Um and I think trading Hoffman, there's a lot of nuances regarding it. And uh, with only the one year left of team control, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to get back what what one would equate to, you know, a guy who's probably going to score over what thirty five, thirty six goals
2: uh, or so.
0: Yeah, no, I see your point. I see your point. And um, they, they, they have what should be a a competitive skilled top six and and it it might be a wiser move to spend whatever cap space you are going to have available on depth forwards and steady defense if if you have to go another year with Luongo with your fingers crossed that he can stay healthy and while Montemblot grows into his role if he's going to be the goalie of the future in Florida then then maybe that's what you need to do. You, you got uh, quite a few picks in this year's draft, so you can start building that group that you want. But they're still going to be two or three years away if any of that pans out.
1: Now, at least, but at least, I'm sorry to interrupt, but at least, Verbovsky fills a need. Now, the question for me for Florida is: It also Berbosky,
0: creates problems,
1: right? Is how you're gonna have four contract. goals in
0: your roster, right? <laughs> right.
1: But my <laughs> hey. point being is with with uh with Bobrovsky is, is is if the contract isn't too long okay, not you know, uh, he could he he at least again still is a the need. They need to get better gold uh, like I said, Panarin I mean, yeah, I would rather have Panarin than Hoffman, but to me they have a much bigger uh a lot more fish to fry than uh, uh on the checklist than to do that and like I said it's gonna be an extremely expensive uh expensive move. So, um, but having said all that, I fully expect Florida to do that. And I fully expect <laughs> Panarin to sign that. Yeah, no, I, I really do. We had Mark Shike on and he said how much,
0: yeah.
1: uh, Panarin loves South Florida, loves the Miami area. He spends a lot of time there in the off season. He has a condo down there. Just as we know, there's no state income tax. So they're, if they're, as long as they're willing to, uh, put up that huge contract. Their money is going to go farther along than everyone else. So I fully expect it to happen, but I, I just don't know if that's, if that's uh, the right move. I mean, you'd have to show me what they get for either Dan Deneau or Hoffman. Uh, but even still, to me, like I said, I, don't, I, I question if that's the way for Florida to go. They've made a lot of moves recently, a lot of big moves recently, both on the coaching staff and player personnel. And they really haven't worked out.
0: The thing, the thing about taking Hoffman out of that particular top six, to me, he gives you a little bit more of a two of hundred foot game than you're going to get out of out of Barco and Huberto. He has a little bit more grit. He he plays a little more um, two way hockey than than the other guys do. And it, and if you replace replace that with Panarin. I think you're losing a piece out of that top six that you're not, and this is in defense of your point, Chris, you're, you're adding something you already have and you're, you're subtracting something that I think they might need more of, which is a 200 foot game out of their top nine, at least, right? You you expect, you expect defensive out, out of your fourth line, at least, but you, you take a, piece like that out and still giving you 32 goals on the season um I I wonder what that does to to the top six if if you're trying to add a Panarin type player I I I like Mike Hoffman's game a little bit better as far as the 200 foot game oh excuse me and in that particular top six removing Hoffman um I think you lose all of the 200-foot game um, that that top six possesses. Um, I don't know. I I, I agree with you that that maybe you want more depth forward and and a a very solid defenseman um, above what Panarin can bring, and the salary cap money might be better spent um, in other places, but yeah, I gotta, I gotta think. Panarin's a, a Florida Panther next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. I, like I said, I, I fully expect it. To, I fully expect both guys to wind up there, and and they'll be the rave of the summer, and because they'll they'll win Woo-hoo! the July first. Look at our shiny lines, new toy. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But uh, uh, it takes a lot more uh, for our hockey team. I mean, look, they're a team that has a lot of uh, talent. And I just mentioned uh, those five. Forwards that they have, and you know they're a 500 yeah. hockey team. So,
0: yeah. I mean,
1: to me, it goes. There's a lot of there's a lot of issues going on down there. Now, like I said, Braboski could help for easily. It'll be a big upgrade, although, you know, obviously he's not having the best season this year as well. I mean, I would say being saying that he's been inconsistent this year is is putting it mildly. Um, we'll see. Like I said, the the big moves the Panthers have made these last couple of years since winning the division. Uh, they really haven't worked out very well.
0: No, nope. um, <laughs> I gotta agree with you there. And I, I think he my I think Danny missed my point on the "it" factor that this this group uh, seems to be missing. He pointed to a single player, and I was I was talking more of the dynamics of of a team
1: translating into wins.
0: Yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, so I, I think I maybe misasked the question, but um, anyway, let's move on to the OT. I'm running short on time, and we wanted to pose the question: Should the Colorado Avalanche miss the playoffs, and would that be better for them long term? What say you, Chris?
1: It sounds blasphemy to say, but I, you it know, does. to me, if Con- if Colorado gets in, uh, I look at it; they're going to play, you know, one of the big boys. And they're probably going to, you know, it's going to be a quick series. And uh, not that the players should be thinking this way or the coaching staff, but nor am I saying that Avalanche fans should want their teams to lose. But from afar, I would say this, you know, if they miss the playoffs, they get two chances at the bite of the apple in terms of getting a top uh, three pick, one of which is uh, Ottawa's – they own Ottawa's first round pick. Bite. Currently, they have the worst. That's a big bite. Um, <laughs> That's a big bite. So that is a big bite. They get, and then the worst case is they're going to have two picks in the top 15 in this draft. Now, again, if you're talking about picking 14 versus 17, not a huge difference. But I, I, I tell you, if they were able to add two top talents from this draft to this to this organization. Uh, and based on where they are right now, they're just not deep enough to, to beat any of those big boys, and I don't think they're strong enough in goal. Um, yeah, I think it would be better uh, from uh, from uh, from afar uh, for Colorado to miss the playoffs. And guess what? With more games like last night, beating, losing at home to an Anaheim Ducks team who was looking for next year, uh, <laughs> they probably are going to miss the playoffs.
0: Yeah, well, one of those one of those picks is going to be top three. Um, it can't be any worse than that.
1: Top, uh, so, top four, right?
0: I think it's top three, sir.
1: Can't you e- see either top way. Three spots.
0: Yeah, yeah if, so if you have the worst four. record, the worst you can do is is, is top three, I believe. And okay. And then if let let's say that the they end up fifteenth or fourteenth or thirteenth or whatever, one that's that's not shabby. And, and I mean, let's be honest. Gabriel landis out. That's a big piece on a team that's very limited offensively. If you can get that top three, it, it, it begs the question. Let's say the Ottawa's pick does end up with the number one ping pong ball. Is it Hughes? Or do they go uh, for the best forward available?
1: If we have to get Russ towing on. I've touched base with him. I'm
0: going to have him on in
1: April. In April, uh, I'm hoping to get him on after that show, after the lottery, so we know who's who's where. Capo uh, Caco. I'm butchering his name. A lot of K's in the name. Capo Caco. K. K-A- yeah. Um, he seems to be the guy in line with Hughes, but I still think Hughes is the favorite. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. I think. I mean. I think you take center, take use, but um, yeah, I think that would be that would be a good problem to have for for sure. Who do we take of those two?
0: Hey, and now I'm I'm having a brain issue here. I, I was thinking that this Hughes was a defenseman. Am I am I thinking about the wrong Hughes?
1: You're thinking of Quinn Hughes, who was taken by Vancouver, who just signed up. Oh, uh, right. That's why he's in my
0: head. He just signed his deal with Vancouver this week, so that's why. Okay. No, correct me, sir. Correct me. Um, uh, Absolutely. This Hughes is the center, and then there's no question at all. So, forgive me. My mistake.
1: Yeah, and remember, they have have the other top pick from a couple years ago, probably closing in on the NHL, too, in – uh, the, def- uh, the smallest offense of def- the defenseman, uh, Cal. Uh, I always put his name. I want to say it's Maker or it's Malker or. Um, but so they they got some talent over there. That's it. Thank you, sir. Sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah. I
0: can pronounce them. So... I just don't know what they do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so any so anyway yeah well, like I said I I think they're going to wind up with two of the picks and who knows if 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 Lady Lottery shines on them. Um, you know, it, it could be a, it could be a good thing, uh, a good night for Colorado. Two I mean, top it, ten. it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Nope. If if the Lancia got lucky uh, with their own pick, I mean, Ottawa, like we said, is going to be by by default in the top three or four. If their own ball was the lucky ball, like the Flyers were a couple years ago when they went thirteen to two,
0: New Jersey could wind New up with
1: got- two top. That's right.
0: That was a crazy draft too. So you, no, it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. Um, and then you hope that they pan out. So um, I, I look going to the going to the playoffs. You get at least two home games of revenue, long term health of the franchise. Without Gabriel Landeskog, they're going to be a bad matchup for anybody that they would play in that in a wild card spot. I don't see them having the depth to make up five points and pass Minnesota here. So I think whether it's a good idea that they miss the playoffs or not, is going to be a moot point. I think, I think they're out. Um, and I think it's probably for for the question's been the last couple of years, where's the secondary scoring. So this is going to be a big draft for Colorado. Um, you can't use a top, uh, a top fifteen pick on goaltending, though. Right? I mean, no. Right. I'm
1: just saying, though. Group hour hasn't been. I mean, I think they were hoping for more.
0: No. I, yeah. Probably for sure. Um,
1: and Varlamov is a free agent, so and he's in his thirties. So, um, be cur- You know, how do they move forward with their goaltending?
0: Yeah, I think I think for the just for the health of the fr- franchise that that. Missing the playoffs is is probably the best from afar that can happen with Colorado right now. Uh, I mean, they're not going to get past any of the top teams. We're in agreement. Sounds
1: like blasphemy.
0: You don't want to say it, but look, if the if the Kings could uh, fall, they're looking at auto. We need Ottawa to come in, Mark Crawford, to uh, ramrod these last 10 games home and, and make up four points in the standings on the Kings. Um, missing the playoffs is definitely what the Kings need right now, sir.
1: Oh, they, they could definitely use one of those top two guys.
0: Yes, no question.
1: Yeah, well, all that right, would, that'll yeah, do that it for this easy. week. All right, sir. The next what do week have we got on tap? Have Gabriel, Foley. Gabriel Foley will rejoin the show and we'll talk St. Louis Blues.
0: Which is going to be a good conversation considering where they were at the start of the year and where they're ending up. Um, possibly outside chance uh, chasing down Nashville for home ice there in the in the first round of the playoffs. Definitely going from way outside to in right now. Um, it'll be a good story and it'll be a good conversation with Gabriel. So we look forward to it. To doing that we'll be back next week at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern on blog talk radio so for this week for chris i'm mark and we're gone